A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 103, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hello, folks, and welcome to the post-draft show of MLR Kickoff. Dan Power with you, alongside the global explorer, the professor who calls in from the far side of the planet tonight, all the way over in uh, Croatia. And Pete, actually, uh, we ran into each other at the airport. What are the odds? Yeah, we did. I I, I look back and I, I hear this uh, familiar voice, and it's... Uh... Dan Powell behind the Steinberg family and then in front of someone who didn't realize they had to fill out a health form traveling overseas and slowed everything down but it was it was, it was good to see you Dan but I heard you were um that, that made it a little difficult for you to make your flight but you made it okay I did I did it's always entertaining when you get people who don't travel a lot and they pull out their Costco card or something like that to, for an ID and you're like just gee, just get through come on you know, my windows are always tight. I, I'm probably travel the same as you do, Pete, where it's like if I board at top of the hour, I'll get there at quarter two and yeah. assume I'll go right through, I'll get on the train, walk to the gate and straight on the plane. But yeah, it takes one little hiccup, like we saw at DIA with the trains catching on fire, uh, to derail literally and figuratively your entire day. Yep, yep, absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm like that, but I was not like that traveling with, two kids so we we were there a good um more than two hours before our flight yeah well planned straight to straight to the lounge straight to the club the steinbergs they uh they roll the right way let's just put it that way well what were your uh, your thoughts on the draft we had the draft last thursday so it, it opened up on fox sports 2 and finished up on the rugby network but three rounds 39 players picked what were your initial thoughts you know, I, I as as we, as we listened, what I was always looking for, I'm like, what what's the connection between the team and the player that's being dropped, right? Because no team right now has um, the network and the scouting ability to really be able to know all of these players well. And so you look for for where where that connection is. So, you know, when you see Mich- you know, when you see a player from Western Michigan being um, you know, selected by Utah, then, you know, that's Brandon Sparks. Brandon was um, at the University of Michigan for a long time, has has a good network there. When you see kind of NOLA, you know, um, getting some guys that played for um, the South against NOLA. Like, you, you're, I'm looking for, for those connections. So that was one. The, the, the second thing I thought, you know, is great and exciting is to see how many of these players, you know, started playing rugby in high school and before. 
you know, these are not, um, there, there are a couple of guys that, that picked up the game pretty late. Most of these guys are, are guys that, that played in high school. And then the third thing that I thought was really interesting was, you know, Toronto obviously selected Canadians, but there were two other Canadians selected, you know, and yeah. I think one of the, one of the questions was like, well, why would you have Canadians in the draft? But actually there were a couple of Canadians that were selected by other teams. Um, and I thought that was, that was really interesting. I think it shows the strength of um, Canadian college rugby because it shows that, um, you know, some of the uh, US-based teams see value in, in getting those guys in, even though there might be some challenges with, with, with getting them to play the side of the border. So I thought, I mean, th those are my three things. Um, and I also thought that uh, um, my, my future is, um, is in jeopardy because uh, Connor Mooneyhan, now, admittedly, it might be 10 years from now, but, but I think that guy is going to be a, um, an analyst. He's going to be, he's, he's going to be doing broadcasts with you, Dan, once he, uh, once he stops playing. Yeah. Not only did Connor do a great job, but he literally found out, you know, uh, if, if not the day before, the two days before the draft, he was going to do it. So he had very little time to get prepared and he had never done anything on that side of the camera before uh in relation to television so i thought he was absolutely outstanding but you know stacy pates continues to be the consummate professional of just running these shows to perfection she does it the championship game all access she does it and she, she knocked it out of the park again with the draft so just a great crew to work with with ryan ginty and his team as well on the other side and of course our very own stats boy just getting it all done just the conduit between all of those pieces holding it together yeah i think i think i mean i saw aaron you know, on our call last week, and he looked—he already looked absolutely exhausted. And that was like a couple of days before the draft was going to happen. But I know he did a lot of work behind the scenes. Yeah, a lot—a lot of work. Again, he always steps up. He's great with that stuff, and uh, you just don't see it. I think you had the analogy the other day: the the duck on top of the water just looks calm and gliding, but underneath, the little feet are flying. And and Aaron is the the little feet of, of the draft day. He's just always flying. So it was great. It was a great day and exciting for 39 players to, you know, have their moment as well. But let me let me ask you this. I'll, I'll throw you on the spot here. Who who most excites you coming out of the draft? Hmm. So I mean, I mean, I think it depends, right? So I I really like um, uh, Tabiti Lapetti. Mm -hmm. I think the um, players that come from St. Mary's seem to do really, really well in MLR. I think, I think he's a really, really exciting player. You know, obviously very physical, I think. I think but, you know, he's, he's one, of the, one of the top guys. Um, I'm actually, I, I really like uh, the Nola selection of um, Carmen, uh, Consol is it Consolino? Yeah. Am I pronouncing that right? Um, you know, so he's a so he's a fly half, right? You know, coming out of um, Wisconsin at AIC, you know, getting some of those guys, those fly halves to come in and play. I don't think he'll play fly half immediately, but it's very much a, you know, Nola Gold, Nate Osborne selection to get a fly half and play him in another position. So he's someone that I'm really excited to see and see what he can do. That's sort of at the other end of the draft. What about you, Dan? Which, 
who stood out for you? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little sleepier here. I'm gonna go to a couple of second round picks, Pete. And uh Palema Roberts coming out of Life University goes to Old Glory and Old Glory midfield. Uh, Kieran Hearn announces his retirement. So there is a legit opportunity for for Palema to step into Old Glory and, and do some great things. I don't know if you had a chance to watch his highlights, but he has got some of the biggest shots you'll see in college rugby on there. He can. He can hit and he can hit hard. And I think that'll play well into Major League Rugby for him. Uh, the other one, Austin picked up Asa Carter out of uh, Arkansas State University. And he's just a big physical boy. Like uh, he was he was with us on the on the draft day. Um, so part of his experience was being there in person. And it, just the physicality and the size of him. Uh, Austin have a very dynamic back row. Like Don McKenna uh, is, is a – and Don Bailey, like, great athletes, great versatility, but he's just a big bruiser, like a big body that I think uh, Sam Harris and Mark Gerard can do some work with and just provide a little bit more of a dominant physical edge. And similar to Palema, like he has that physicality to his game, which is something that's hard to coach into a player, the, the desire to be physical. It's almost something that's you know instinctual for a lot of players. So if they have that, then you can work on the technique side of things and, and you know help them along with some of the uh, other aspects of the game. But that physicality side, and I think you've heard it as much as I have, a lot of people that come to Major League Rugby are like, it's physical. Like, it's really, really yeah. physical. So I'd like those two picks just on the basis of that. Yeah, I mean, I think both of those guys are, are good. Um, I don't know how much of a sleeper um, Roberts is playing, playing at life. I think one of the interesting things for me is you look at, like, you know, the top sides are really providing um, like a lot of the players, a lot of Lindenwood players, right? a lot of life players. Penn State had a good day in the draft. You know, there's, there's you know, the top, like, the top teams are really providing a bulk of the draft. And so you look at, for me, I look at, you know, where do you get the gems that aren't in those top teams, right? And, and that's why sort of like Western Michigan or the University of Alabama or some of these places where, you know, these, these guys are playing, you know, you know, um, D1 AA, you know, they're not, they're not in, in D1A. Um, you know, you look at guys, you know, fun, you know, you can make a draft selection, Dan, by leveraging USA, you know, the US, USA pathway national teams selection. Like you can go yeah. through and say who's been selected for, you know, high school All-Americans, college All-Americans, you know, USA Falcons. And, and you're going to, you know, you're probably going to do pretty well there because those guys, you know, the USA network is very regionalized. They've got a lot of players, they've lots of camps. You'll do well. But I think in the long term, it's the people that are going to find the players that aren't in there. In fact, you know, I do wonder over the next couple of weeks when we'll start seeing um, and hearing about some of these signings where you've got a player and you're like, this guy's really good. But you know what? No one knows about him. So no one's going to draft him. And I'm not going to put a draft pick on someone that no one knows about. Right. Yeah. I'm going to say, like, I'm going to sign that guy as a free agent. I'm going to use my draft pick somewhere else. So I think we, like, the real sleepers are the guys that are going to get picked up as free agents over the next couple of weeks. And of course, we're only in year two of this. So we haven't had a, a great, um, you know, pool to, to really dive into in terms of statistics of those sleepers and where they're going and how they're playing. And I think some of them have gone into academy systems. Like, you know, we've, we've talked about right. the necessity for academy. We may see them in three or four years. But then they'll, you know, right. it'll be like, where did this guy come from? And you're like, oh, that's right. He was a free agent signing uh, in, in 2020 by New Orleans. And he's been playing for, for NOLA rugby for the last couple of years, getting 
physically or, or mentally ready and, and away they go. So, well, let's not stand on ceremony. Let's uh, let's bring in some of our interviewees for the show. We got a chance to go at the very top and the very bottom of the draft. So we'll start things off with the number one overall pick going to the Dallas Jackals, Eric Naposky. Welcome, Eric Naposky, number one overall pick from the 2021 Major League Rugby Collegiate Draft. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Body's still recovering from uh, the tournament over the weekend. But, uh, yeah, everything's good. This last weekend you had a chance to showcase your skills um, at the international – basically at an international level competition with – the U23s uh, for USA 7s. Uh, how did you guys take the tournament? Um, well, we got off to a rough start on day one and uh, dropped our first three games. But um, we ended up recovering pretty well on day two and three and ended up winning the bowl, um, which, I mean, is still not the desired result. But after uh, starting off 0-3, uh, to come out with some sort of hardware is uh, not too bad. So I wanted to take a chance to tell people more about Eric Naposky. Um, early on growing up, you had so, some difficult uh, life events and a, a pretty hard background. And I wanted to know sort of how those events sort of shaped you as a person that prepared you to develop into the person and rugby player you are now? Yeah, I mean, um, it definitely uh, taught me to be strong, built a lot of character for me. Um, You know, like uh, the stuff that happened with my dad at a young age, you know, um, it's tough. But uh, I also had a great support system at home with my mom my stepdad and my sisters, um, they all kind of helped me get through all that. And um, yeah, I mean, it definitely built a lot of character and uh, it just taught me, uh, you know, to just keep working hard and, um, you know, striving for what I want to reach one day. And uh, thankfully it's led me up to this point where I'm now going to be playing in the MLR and, uh, being a professional rugby player was a dream of mine from a young age. I know, as I've said in, in previous <laughs> interviews, but um, yeah. So it, I think the most important thing was that it it really helped mold my character as a hardworking, resilient individual. And yeah. Let's, let's take a step back before UCLA, because we, we met last year during the draft process. So, uh, and sort of the road to rugby stuff, but let's, let's dig in. I know that your stepdad played rugby. So when did, when did you start playing rugby and, and what was your first club like? So I had been around rugby, watching my stepdad play since I was five or six years old. Um, and I would just run around with the ball in my hands, running through the mud on the sidelines, just, uh, loving every second of it and uh i guess when i really got into it uh i started playing for um 
old Greenwich rugby club. Um, they had a really good youth program. So I think I started there at 10th or 11th and then uh, stayed with them up until high school. And uh, yeah, it was a, a really valuable experience for my rugby career because um, like we had a, it's rare to find a youth program in the US that's strong like that one. And, um, you know, we would go on international tours even as a youth program. We were going to France, doing things like that, playing games every weekend. Um, yeah, so that's like kind of how everything kicked off um, at that club. Obviously you played rugby in high school, but what other sports did you play while you were in high school? It sort of uh, shaped you a little bit more because you're definitely a well-rounded athlete. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy playing all sports, but obviously you can't do all of them. So um, I, uh, I wrestled for my first two years, but then um, once I started to realize like I was a bit light, so like I would have to cut weight for wrestling and it kind of was counterproductive to rugby where I want to be bigger. So I, I did it for two years, which actually taught me a lot in terms of like tackling and physicality and stuff like that. Um, and then I stopped wrestling and uh, just continued with rugby. And then um, I guess for fitness, I started playing soccer my sophomore year and uh, I kind of just did it for fun and then I ended up doing pretty well and becoming our high school team's captain by the end of it so yeah it's wrestling soccer and rugby so going to UCLA and getting into that process what was the recruiting process for you obviously you know pretty high level soccer player sort of Make, needing to make the choice um, to commit to rugby, you said you you know this was the sport you loved the most. So, how was was the recruiting process for you? To a, where else was an option for you? And b, what what sold UCLA um, to you as the place as the destination? Yeah. So, basically, to kind of get myself out there, I would go to rugby camp at Dartmouth every year and at that camp they usually have a ton of college coaches that attend and run the camp uh, I know it's a pretty well-known camp around the country a lot of guys fly into New Hampshire for it and um, yeah so I would go to that camp meet coaches and that was like the beginning of it and uh, I know Scott Stort who was my coach originally at UCLA who recruited me would go to that camp every year. Um, so that's kind of how the recruitment process started. But uh, my number one goal was to get into Dartmouth. Um, and then that just, uh, I thought I was going to get in, but unfortunately I didn't. So then um UCLA applications didn't come in until late. So I uh, also had gotten into Penn State who have a pretty good rugby program. So I was like 95% sure that I was going to Penn State 
with the slight chance that I get into UCLA, I was going to go there. So I went on a full visit to Penn State, loved the school, it was a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I thought I was uh, selling myself short academically for how hard I've worked throughout high school. So thankfully, I got into UCLA a bit late and then made my decision. I honestly, like, I didn't even visit the school. I had only been to California once for like a day or two, but I already knew just through the grapevine that like, you really can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you chose two very hard schools to try and get into. Yeah. Uh, Dartmouth and UCLA and glad it worked out uh, yeah. for you. Let's talk about your pathways experiences um, from whether it's the All-Americans, the, the Junior All-Americans or the Falcons. And obviously you've represented uh, the United States through the pathway at some very high levels. And, you know, what has made you sort of use those um, to better yourself, but how did you make the choice to go to which camp? Because oftentimes you were selected and called for both sevens and fifteens. And you, yeah. you, you clearly did make the choice very early in part because you got up to the Falcons while in college to focus on sevens, but how, what was your process to, to make those choices? Um, in part at such a young age, because those are hard choices to make. Yeah. I mean, I like one of my main goals besides being a professional rugby player was to also be an Olympian one day. So taking every sevens opportunity, I felt like was just uh, the right decision in terms of achieving that goal of being an Olympian one day. So, yeah, and uh, I guess like the sevens program had been pretty successful as well. Like the U.S. have done a pretty good job in the recent years. So um, I thought in terms of developing my skills overall and playing with those guys would be ben beneficial for me. Um, you know, playing with like Madison Hughes and guys like that. Um, going into those camps, you know, you, it's a week long, but it feels like you're there for a while and um, you get, you get a lot better in just that one week. So I thought those were really valuable uh, experiences for me in terms of development as a whole, regardless if it's sevens or fifteens, I thought um, it could translate well to both. So Looking back on the MLR draft last year, you entered as an underclassman. You went, although high, pretty highly touted, uh, you went undrafted. How did you refocus uh, on what would be a tough season at UCLA? Because you didn't know uh, what was next because of the pandemic. Hold on one second. <laughs> I'm going to tell these kids to stop screaming in the background. <laughs> Um, yeah, so basically, um, it was 
really difficult to stay motivated during COVID. But um, it honestly gave me a lot of time to focus on um, like lifting and developing some things that outside of rugby that are kind of tough to get in season. So like I was able to put on like 10 pounds, um, things like that. And then um, one thing that really kept me locked in was the fact that they had the Bermuda 10s in that COVID period. So that just was another event to train for. And then, as you know, like there were top quality international players playing in that tournament and the level of rugby was super high. So that was a really valuable experience for me. Um, like just, it was honestly a blessing that the tens happened because it was getting to a point where I was going to go crazy if <laughs> I didn't have rugby to play in the near future. So yeah, I had that, that was good training. And then um, it led into our UCLA season in the spring, which uh, we only got a couple 15s matches in, but um, it was still good to just get out with the boys for one more season and uh, finish on a high note. Let's let's take a step back and let's talk about Bermuda Tens. You, you know, you went, obviously, uh, it was going to be interesting because no one knew how this would unfold, but because uh, some teams weren't able to make it. But yeah. you ended up having a really good tournament over those couple of weekends. Can you really sort of talk about the process for you and how you were going to use that? Obviously, clearly you said that it was a huge motivator for you. But in addition to that, once you had the platform, uh, how did you sort of let the rugby speak? Uh, yeah, I mean, rugby-wise, I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And I didn't know how I was going to match up to some of the players that were were going to be in the 10s. Um, and I'd, I had no idea how our team was going to be. I had no idea of any of that. But, you know, like once we were on the field playing, it just everything started to click and our team gelled well. And uh, I was able to take the opportunities I had and uh, ended up having a good tournament. So, I mean, yeah, rugby wise, you know, just backed myself, backed my skills and just went out there and didn't really focus on who or what we were playing against, just just played, honestly. And uh, that was the best way to go at it. So you mentioned that you, you always wanted to be an Olympian, and we did talk a little bit about uh, Rugby Town and your experience. Can you talk about sort of how, uh, I guess, expand on using all the development opportunities to further that goal. Obviously, you did get drafted number one overall, so we will talk about the Jackals pretty soon. But, you know, what was, I guess, that environment specifically uh, under Colton Carriaga like this weekend and how you think that helped push you towards uh, the next Olympics? Yeah, I mean, well, this is the correct step in terms of the pathway. So like making this was big for me to get to that next level. Hopefully um, I didn't, I didn't play the tournament that I hoped I would, 
but you know that happens you have ups and downs and uh you know you learn from the mistakes you made but um i think the coaches were great um they set up a real professional environment and uh also like let us do our own thing uh in terms of playing wise because you know sevens is a game with like where if you try and implement too much structure it might just get too hectic it's it's good to just just play and uh express yourself on the field um but yeah the coaches were great the staff was great um uh yeah the boys were all all good time as well and uh yeah like i said before we started off rough but the way we finished out was great um but yeah let's take a look into your pre-draft process and how teams uh, looked at you and the calls you had to field. I, I uh, spent some time with Connor Mooneyham uh, this last week in, in preparation for the draft, and he talked about how he actually knew he was going number one overall pretty early, and it ended up stopping calls. For you, I think that it was a little bit different. What was it like for you? Well, yeah, I mean, I found out the day before. So, I mean, I still had no idea. I had honestly no clue what was going to happen. And uh, I know I had a few calls with some teams, uh, a couple texts exchanged, but um, my calls with Dallas seemed to be longer and more in depth. And um, yeah, I guess I, I still didn't know what was going to happen, but I could tell that they were interested uh, just by the way, like they, they um, carried out some of those calls and yeah. It's a, uh, it's a lot of uh, pressure to put on someone to tell them, uh, you know, basically hours before uh, that, that you're number one. Yeah. Um, so how did, I, I guess with, with all that feeling, you know, going into uh, your day of practice, because I know that you sort of that you found out probably a little bit after the draft had actually occurred and production was occurring. Uh, you know, when you finally got the call that you were number one and then got the call from Dallas that you were their first over, the first overall pick, what was that feeling like? Uh, it was a great feeling, honestly. Um, you know, initially, um, when I got the call, I was obviously super excited. And, uh, you know, it was just awesome news. But I also had to stay focused on the task at hand, which was preparing for the Rugby Town Tournament, which, um, yeah, I mean, as awesome as it was, it was definitely still uh, difficult to keep my head in, in the task at hand. Um, I thought I could have done better with that. But, you know, it was just such awesome news. I know I watched the draft with um, a bunch of guys that I know from teams around the tournament. We had about like 15 guys in the room watching. And, uh, you know, they all cheered when, when the first pick was announced. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was really awesome. So let's talk about that experience. Obviously, uh, there were a ton of guys in rugby town that got drafted that were competing in the tournament. Uh, yourself, Emmanuel Albert, Tavite Lopetti, uh, 
one of your teammates for the All-Americans, Colson Warner, uh, you know, with, with so many guys there together, what was sort of that whole like experience together? Uh, yeah, it was awesome. You know, just like seeing the other boys that got drafted, you know, congratulating them, hearing from other people around the tournament, congratulating me as well. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome to feel the love from the whole rugby community. And I'm sure it was awesome for the other guys as well. Um, and it was, I know I played against some of them and with Colson, obviously. And yeah, it was just cool. Um, and it'll be exciting to see them in the league next year. So let's talk a little bit about your future with Dallas. Where do you think you're going to play? Obviously, uh, you've played a lot of nine while at UCLA, but you've also played a lot of back three. And with all the sevens experience, you're you're a very you're quite a deadly finisher. Where do you think you're you're going to play, or where do you want to play, and where do you think that they've t- that they have you put? Um, honestly, I'm very flexible on where I can play and whatever role I have to fill, I'll do that. Um, so whatever they ask of me, if they want me to play nine, I'll play nine. They want me to play in the back three, I'll play in the back three. I don't really have a preference, honestly, because I grew up playing nine, but I also like the space being in the back three. Um, but yeah, I mean... I honestly, I have no idea, but uh, I wouldn't be upset about either option. Yeah. Well, Eric, uh, thank you for your time. And, yeah. you know, uh, I guess enjoy uh, the rest of your summer. Uh, it is fleeting, especially coming into a training camp that you will likely face pretty early in, in November. And, and good luck on the 2022 season. Thank you. All right. There you have it. The UCLA Bruin, now a Dallas Jackal. And uh, to, to me, it's similar to, you know, it's funny. Last year they picked Connor and Connor was on the panel with his Pete. And I was like, it's, it's, a, it's a very similar pick. Like it's a, it's a guy who's ready to get into an MLR team and contribute day one. Yeah. And I think that's what Dallas has to do, right? I mean, I think Dallas isn't looking... They've got to build, they've got to rebuild a squad. Right. And I think, you know, their brand took a bit of a hit, let's be honest, when they didn't fulfill 2021. I think everyone can understand why, but I don't think that there's, um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, they lost a lot of players that, that they've brought in. They got dispersed all over the place. I think, you know, many of them, some of them will come back, but not all. So they need game ready players. And I think, um, Eric, you're right. Eric's one of those guys that's going to come in and he'll be able to play from day one. And, and that's what they need. All right. From number one, we go to number 39. And now the NFL calls this player Mr. Irrelevant. He then goes to a parade. I believe it's um, Aaron might be able to help us here, but I believe it's it's in uh, Pasadena. They bring him out to a parade and they jump on a float for the parade. So we've got to figure out some sort of tradition and name for the, for the last overall pick in the draft. You, you had any thoughts? You're asking me or you're asking Aaron? No, no, you, you. Mm. You mean, do we create a parade or is this a parade that already exists? Oh, 
<laughs> Do we even have parades anymore? Like post COVID or, or still, we're not even post COVID. We're still living in it. So um, we can't throw it in the Macy's Day parade. Like that might be a little it's so, tough an explanation. So you wanted some details. So there is a Mr. Irrelevant Foundation. And not, not to say it's like the Heisman Foundation, but it's kind of a big thing. And uh, they run everything out of Newport Beach. There's a massive banquet every year um, that is a huge fundraiser that generates a lot of uh, a lot of money to help with youth outreach. Uh, it's it's actually kind of cool when you think about it. And it's it's a whole week that gets celebrated. Uh, it, I guess this year it was in June. So there is a parade for this. I don't really know the details because I think that was canceled um, due to covid but they did have their banquet um and they they raised a, a ton of money and uh i think what their main uh the main thing that they this gets away from mlr but the main thing that they raised money for this last year was rm piles boys camp there you go there you go you just thought you come here for a rugby podcast and you get all of that and more you're welcome you're welcome well let's uh let's go into number 39 pick Overall, the pick is none other than Gerald Lowe out of Kutztown University. All right, joining us now is the 39th pick in the MLR draft, but don't sleep on that one, folks. He is a gamer. He goes to the LA Guiltinis. Gerald Lowe out of Kutztown University. Thanks for joining the show, brother. How are you doing? Well, thank you very much. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, nice, nice weather out here in SoCal. Can't complain about too much. Yeah, already got the gear on, which is good to see that uh, the Giltini's got you your shirt out nice and quick. But you're not a stranger to the Giltini's. There's already a little bit of history there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was, um, I was lucky enough to uh, play for Belmont Shore Rugby um, over the summers and got introduced to some of the coaching staff through uh, the structures. And I was able to train, start training with the academy side in early June. And I was able to play for the academy side against the Dallas Reds and uh, Santa Rosa. And kind of got the opportunity to showcase my skills while the coaching staff were watching in the Coliseum. So great opportunity for me there. And I'm, I'm just happy that they, uh, they were mildly happy with what they saw. And that's, that's, uh, that got me here today. Yeah, plenty ahead of you. Let's talk a little bit behind you right now. Obviously, born and raised in South Africa, spent some time in Namibia as well. You were entrenched in the Blue Bulls program there in Pretoria. What was the uh, the motivation or the inspiration for you to pack up and come over to the USA? I uh, I just, yeah, I saw the opportunity of getting a, I always realized that rugby is is something that can, can help me get a better education. And I saw the opportunity to come to a US, pro, uh, US university and get a degree that's internationally recognized and kind of jumped on the opportunity there. Um, I was also pretty unfortunate. I got injured towards the end of my uh, high school career in South Africa. And uh, you know, things were just kind of, uh, it was just bad time when it came to contracts after school. So I had some, you know, I had some uh, time to think about what I really wanted to do with my future and reached out to a few universities here in America and you know, uh, decided that uh, Kutztown was a good fit for me and I wanted to pursue the, the the goal of playing professional rugby in the U.S. 
Well, tell us a little bit about your time at Quidstown because you've got obviously a couple of old teammates who are in the league in uh, Casey Renaud and uh, DeMonte Noble, just two of note. So how was your time there and the experience living the, the college life in America? Was it like all the films predicted it would be? You know, I, I watched Animal House before I came to the US, so that was kind <laughs> of, that was my expectation coming in. That's a high bar you've set. Yeah, <laughs> no, very high bar. Um, and, and, you know, in, in some ways I... I was very happy that I chose Kutztown University. I, I chose the university for first and foremost, the coach there, Dr. Greg Jones, who's been a, a major influence in my life over the last four years. And just, you know, I, I, I don't have any other family here in the US. So I wanted to move, move to a place where I felt like I could be part of a family where I could buy into the structure of the program, into the core values that the program represent. And, you know, that's one thing that I, that I really enjoyed about Kutztown. We, Rugby was a byproduct for us. We were focusing on, on making, you know, good, uh, you know, contributing members of society, good young men. And, um, you know, Doc, Greg's, uh, Doc Greg Jones's uh, philosophy of go to work every day was something that just aligned with me. Um, and, you know, the, he's, he's done a lot for that program over the last 35 years. He's, he's grown it into one of the powerhouses in the, in the nation. And, you know, playing with guys like DeMonte Noble, Casey Renaud, you know, which of no, and then, there's, there's so many other um, of the senior players that, that helped me and influenced me in my, uh, while I was out there. It was, um, it was an unbelievable experience. Yeah, let's talk now because obviously you mentioned you'd spent a bit of time in the academy with the Giltinis. What was the lead up to the draft like for you? Was there a lot of communication between you know, KB, Hoylesey and the whole crew there at LA? Uh, were they a little nervous to see you go in the draft and potentially go somewhere else and be plucked out from underneath them? Uh, how was that build up for you? I, uh, I think the the nervous the nervousness came more from my end. You know, uh, sitting through that draft and uh, you know hearing all these picks go out and then the last one comes through and and that's you. I remember I was I was actually so I I work as well and I was sitting in a meeting. Um, don't ask me what went on in that meeting because I was watching the draft the entire time. You know. <laughs> And I was just so excited when uh, when my name finally came through. Uh, but yeah, there was some. We had some initial discussions after my second game for the academy that they were interested in me. Um, and then you know I spoke to Kevin Battle probably about two weeks before the draft, and we were just kind of you know he just wanted to make sure everything's all right on my end. And then the management um, staff from the Guilty's reached out. Adam Fryer reached out to me probably yeah. about three days beforehand, and um, you know just. Uh, wanted to expl explain that they are interested in me. They are interested in drafting me. So I kind of got, uh, went into the draft. I don't want to use the word you're know, expecting it because, you know, you, you, you can never expect an opportunity like this. It's, it's always something that's, it's just a blessing, you know, but um, I, I went into the draft being uh, somewhat comfortable with, with uh, what was with the outcome, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but my nerves were definitely tested towards the end of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm remiss to not mention Adam Fryer in that list of people there as well. I mean, one of the absolute driving forces of what made LA successful this year was Adam Fryer. I was at the Coliseum for the final. We could see this little dot running up the stairs on the far side of the stadium. I'm like, who's that guy? And they're like, that's Adam Fryer's GM. And this is an hour and a half before kickoff for the championship game. So I don't think you'll find too many more driven and dedicated individuals. So you, you've gone... You've gone, in my opinion, to probably the best culture in Major League Rugby, uh, what they were able to do this year. So it's a great landing spot. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the players you'll be playing with. Now, Matt Gitto, Adam Ashley Cooper were two massive names that we had in the league and for LA this year. 
they're on the fence about returning. I think the last time the, the odds were kind of getting close to 50-50 for both of them. I'm not going to make a decision. But you've also got some quality players in your position. You know, Simon Portman there uh, and also Angus Cottrell, who was right up there for player of the year. Where do you see yourself fitting into that roster? I honestly, I, I and I had a conversation with the coaching staff as well. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take things one training session at a time. You know, be very goal driven. Obviously, my goal would be to to uh, be in the starting lineup for the Guiltinis. But at the end of the day, I also have to realize that I have so, such great players playing around me and playing playing alongside me that I just have the opportunity to learn and soak in as much as I can. So. My, my goal is just, and it's always been pretty, pretty basic, you know, just become the best possible rugby player um, that I can be. Cause I feel like, you know, if I play the, at the top of my game, I can contribute to the organization that I play for. And, and that, that's my philosophy heading into these things. You know, I, I really just want to develop myself as much as I can and, you know, take the opportunities when they come my way. You know, when, when I do get the nod uh, from the coaching staff, make sure that I've, um, I've, I've, I've gotten myself ready to, to make the step up to the, to the next level. Have you had a chance to step inside to the Coliseum yet? I have, yes. Actually, the two games that I played for the LA uh, Guilty, the Loyals Academy, we played yeah, in the raises. Coliseum. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the curtain raises. They were curtain raises, which that is an unbelievable experience. Playing in that stadium is just, it, it's unreal. You know, I, I remember the first time I jogged out there, um, I got goosebumps, you know, just looking at it, uh, looking at this massive stadium around me. I can't even imagine how I must feel when when there's fans in there, you know. Well, especially for someone who's come over here and lived the college life too and understanding the history of college football in particular in that stadium with USC. And you yeah. I, you walk around the inside and you see like the murals of all these great, uh, you know, USC legends that have played there. Uh, and then stepping out into the field and you can't, yeah, it's, it's, it's a... I actually watched the TV show Lucifer. You watched Lucifer? Yes, yes, I've seen it before, yeah. So the last season that aired, the, it ended inside the Coliseum. And I watched it maybe four days before it went out there. I was like, oh, my God, that's where Lucifer was going to <laughs> yeah. So it was like yeah. a Hollywood moment and a sporting moment. All right, let's, yeah. let's talk 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, just You don't have to be too specific because I know sometimes these are, these are personal things, but what, what are some of your goals going into the year? Um, going into the year, my you know first and foremost would be to to, to crack the match day squad, um, you know by, by by just making sure that I can again as I as I've alluded to before develop myself to the point where I can you know I can I can step up to the next level, and and I just think that you know it it would be to to, to prove my worth to the to the organisation. Um, you know I think that the the draft got me the seat at the table. And now it's turned to uh, now it's time for me to to earn my seat at that table, you know. So that that would just be be my my goal would be pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Just earning my seat at the table and making sure that I can provide some return on on the faith showed in me, you know. Well, the good news is if Matt Guido doesn't come back, that awesome house he had at Venice Beach is now available, so you can move right in. <laughs> see if Adam Fry can set that up for you, but. Yeah. Mate, uh, obviously, congrats on the draft, everything. Uh, I, I'm really excited to watch you go in LA. I think it's a perfect fit for the way you play rugby. It's going to fit into that squad really well, and I expect to see you in that 23 more often than not too. So exciting times coming up for you, mate. Oh, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. And thanks for taking the time to, to talk to me today. I, I requested you straight away. Don't let Aaron tell you <laughs> any differently. Give me, give me number 39. All right, Gerald Lowe. 
from the LA Giltinis. Now we can say that it is official. So welcome to the Major League Rugby and we look forward to seeing you next season, brother. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it. There you have it, Pete. I'll draw low. Obviously, uh, Kutztown University, home of uh, DeMonte Noble and Casey Renault, out of uh, Casey at Old Glory, along with DeMonte now at Old Glory, who had a, a pretty good year, DeMonte Noble. So, South African born and raised, came over here to enjoy the college experience and, and away we go with Gerald Lowe. Yeah, we, you know, we've seen this, but there's a couple of Lindenwood guys that kind of came over to further their education and now find themselves in the MLR. I think it's a really interesting pathway for um, some of these players that come from more traditional countries. You know, if you're not, you know, if you haven't made a team by, by the time you're 18 and 19, then you're not going to make it. And so, you know, coming over here and, and you know, getting an education and then looking to play some professional rugby seems like a pretty good pathway. I mean, you see it a lot with uh, in MLS. There's a lot of soccer guys that come over here and then, you know, from some of the more traditional nations and soccer nations. And I think MLR is going to be doing the same thing. So I think it's, I think it's good. You know, I think he's enthusiastic. I, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, um, you know, the one thing I would say that, you know, people need to keep, um, they need to understand is that, um, you know, when you get a guy that's come over and started playing at four or five and has played in sort of South Africa or in the UK or in New Zealand, you know, when they're 23 or 24, they're, you know, they're pretty much at the peak of what they can do. There's not a lot of growth. When you get a guy that has picked up the game at, you know, 15, 16, right? They've only been playing the game for five years. You know, they haven't been playing it for, for 15 and so there's more growth that comes from a player that's, that's later, um, that picked up the game a little bit later. So what you'll see is I think some of these guys like, like Gerald Lowe, you know, I think will we'll be able to actually contribute pretty quickly. But I don't know that they're going to have the upside of some of the other guys that sort of picked up the game in high school, um, you know, were top athletes in another sport that fell in love with rugby. Um, so I think it's a, you know, it's, it, it's an interesting choice. Um, and I think, you know, you know I'm sure coaches think about this within MLR and they look at, you know, what, what the potential growth is of a, of a player and their training age and those sorts of things. Um, but I think, I think, uh, um, you know, I think this is a good pickup 39. So I think it's someone that, that, that can help you on the field next year. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, obviously I've got to mention uh, Gerald going to Los Angeles. So LA go three forwards, uh, Klimkowski, O'Neill, and then Lowe as well, two flankers and a front row. Um, I, I think Steve Hoyles, who's, who's taken over as the head coach from Darren Coleman, probably doesn't want to see Billy Meeks play any seven next year. So they're, <laughs> they're adding depth yep. into the areas. You know, they were a little lean up front with some injuries and some visa issues. And then that back row, they got a little lean as the year went on with attrition. So it's interesting to see teams addressing needs as opposed to taking the best player at that pick. And it's, it's always the, the big question in the NFL draft. It's like at the top of the draft, do you take the best player available or do you fill a, a need in your team? And LA have gone the approach of what do we need from last year that we, we were missing and how do we build that out with local players? So... Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is interesting. I think that, you know, when you're in the first round, you probably take the best player because, you know, the difference in quality between potentially a first-round pick and a third-round pick is, is, is big. But when you get into the third round, you're actually trying to see if you can fill a need with one of your draft picks. Yeah, 
Yep. It's interesting. I don't know if you got a chance to take a look at big Sam Klimkowski as well. Boy, oh boy. Is, is he a, a big, big lad? Like I was joking that uh, Corbs must have snuck in and, and made that pick for LA because what a, what a, absolutely huge foundation to your set piece that's going to be uh, and he's strong he was at the rugby showcase and threw a bunch of weight around and uh, had a little conversation with adam fryer and, and even he said he goes hey we're, we're really excited about him uh we've got a lot of work to do and he's got a lot of work to do but we're going to get him in shape and we're expecting big things that's why they took him at 13 so uh yeah who won the draft for you who was who was the big winner did any team kind of stand out above the rest for their picks Hmm. I don't think so, Dan. I mean, I, I, you know, this is, I think we're still at the place that maybe like three or four years from now, we, we, we can look back and make that judgment. I think that um, there are too many players that have potential that is, is yet fulfilled. I don't know that anyone for me really, really stood out. I, I guess I, you know, I like the Nola picks. I think they do a really good job. Um. I thought actually I thought Seattle's picks were, were pretty interesting. But I don't know that I can say that anyone's anyone's a big winner because I think all of these guys have huge amounts of potential and it's now up to the team to help them fulfill that. So there's um, both what the player brings, but also what the te- what the team can provide. I mean, the hardest thing for these guys is gonna be getting playing time. Getting playing time is gonna be really, really hard. Um, and so the teams that have really well-functioning development sides in the off-season, like Utah and like ATL, I mean, those guys, um, I think New England, those guys, those teams, the draft picks for those teams are going to have a better opportunity because they're going to get four, five, six games to show what they can do in men's rugby. And I think that um, having those games will be important, both to their development, but also to show their coaches what they can do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I actually, I, I thought there's a couple of teams that did. I agree with Nola. I thought Houston actually did quite well. Uh, I was very high on Emmanuel Albert coming out uh, in terms of a two two points that you kind of already made in terms of like the ceiling with with players who start a little later in the career. So Emmanuel just six years into his rugby journey, I think his ceiling is quite high for what he was able to do at Lindenwood during his time there. Um, and I, I like the pick of Dylan Shotwell as well at the back end, give them some depth at hooker. They got a little little light at hooker at the back end of the season this last year. So, uh, again, addressing some needs from this year. But, yeah, yeah. What do, you, what, uh, what do you think we can improve on draft day? How do you, how do you make it better? Um, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, I, mean, I think, think what I would say is we just need to give it more time, right? I mean, you know, going through – you know, I mean, you could probably do one round in an hour, right? And 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 do it justice. So I think give it a little bit more time. I think it'd be great to have a draft preview show so like fans can get to know like potential draft picks. Because I think that's, you know, and whether it's a preview show, I mean, I think um, the league's done a pretty good job of sort of like showing, you know, on social media who the players are. I think we need more mock drafts. But it's like, I think it's hard enough for the teams to kind of understand who all these players are right now because of the different sources of, um, of video that, that, that you have to try and capture. And highlight videos don't really do it, right? I mean, you can take a pretty bad player and put together a highlight video that makes them look pretty good. 
So I think a lot of this just needs to be, we really want to educate the fan base a little bit more on who these players are so we can be rooting for them so we can actually have like the discussion about who we think is better or worse. I think I think what's hard right now is it's really difficult for the fans to be able to sit there and be, oh, I can't believe they picked this player or they didn't yeah. pick this player because we just don't know those players. And so we need to do some stuff where we can make the players a little bit more accessible so the fans can be emotionally like involved in, in what the picks are. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and it's and it's not uh, no draft is immune to that either because you look at the NFL, right. which is the biggest one. There's picks in the NFL draft that fans react like, "Who is that guy?" Right. So, right. Uh, right. I, I agree. Exactly. The, the the building the building of the brand of the players and and uh, you know what was hard for me is. is also taking stock of the fact that we haven't really had a college rugby season in, in 18 months. Yeah, that's months. really hard, yeah. So that, I, I was very sympathetic to the teams and their scouting and how they did that. And like you said, it probably went back to relying on old connections, like you said with Brendan Sparks, going back to Michigan because trusting people that can evaluate talent and, and going that direction rather than Absolutely. you know the, the eye test of being able to watch it. So hopefully, hopefully that is alleviated here and college rugby gets back to uh, full you know, full swing here shortly. Yeah, absolutely. All right, bud. I'm going to let you go enjoy your holiday. Yeah, it's a, it's it's ten to eleven. My family's been asleep for about an hour and a half, so well, I'm ready to get up when you but, sneak in. No, but I had some great Croatian wine and some great um, prosciutto and some uh, local Croatian cheese. So uh, um, it's it's been it's been fun spending time with you, Dan. Even even though I'm a little tired. But um, it's good. I'm, and, and good job on the draft. I, I'm excited. Like I, what, what I liked about the draft last year was it just gave me a view on who to watch, right? It gave me a little bit of insight into each of the teams about players that I wanted to watch to see how they did. And I think that that's still going to be the case here. I think, you know, we've expanded the draft, right? So it's three rounds. And I think all of that stuff is, is, is exciting. And I think the more that we can, um, you know, provide again that sort of long-term view um i think that there's a uh, uh yeah i think i think there's there's a great opportunity for us again to you know create some emotional investment that that, that we all need to have in these teams and these players so it's exciting absolutely absolutely go get some sleep buddy uh maybe a couple of tums with the wine and the prosciutto get rid of the harpoon before it gets on top of you but uh, we will wrap this one up and see you back uh, stateside, hopefully, for 104. So for the professor, Pete Steinberg, living life large in Croatia, our producer, Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff. Episode 103 of MLR Kickoff brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by The Rugby Shop.